This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Timothy never argued with Paul. And I've heard some horror stories from other pastors. Like-minded. God has called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And Timothy wasn't a hindrance to it. He was a supporter. And he became like Paul, where Paul even say he's like-minded. Cares in the same state. He's just like me. He's a mini-me version of me. He loves you. Never underestimate the impact you can have for the gospel simply by working with other Christians to that end. If someone is over you in authority or more mature in their walk with the Lord, learn from them. If someone is below you or isn't where you're at yet spiritually, teach them and build them up. Today, Pastor Eddie is going to encourage you with the example of Paul and Timothy to work together for the advancement of God's Word. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he continues his message... Greetings from the Apostle Paul. chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, Peter says, Therefore, these men, candidates, if you will, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. In other words, someone who was with us. Now, Jesus had many disciples. There were the 12, but there were other people who followed. One of them had to be followers, even though they weren't of the 12. Then he said, being from baptism of John, so they had to be baptized to the day when he, speaking of Jesus, was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness, here it is, it's is another qualification, a witness with us of his resurrection. Question, does anybody today qualifies? I think not, unless you're about 2,000 years old. But that's why we need to be careful when people say, I'm an apostle, my name is Apostle. And I remember you get business cards, apostle, doctor, reverend. I said, wow, which one do you want me to call you? By the time I call you, it's lunchtime. <laughs> I mean, and they just love titles. But be careful when people call themselves apostles. It's not biblical. Qualification is here. They have to, have to physically, visually see Jesus, had to be commissioned by Jesus. Paul saw Jesus that he was blind for three days. He was commissioned by Jesus. And he saw the resurrected Jesus. And that's what Peter is saying here. Also, we can see that they were used by the Holy Spirit to write some of the scriptures, you know, and church doctrine. And the apostles, you know, let me tell you, most of them died martyrs' death. So if you want to be an apostle, okay. You want to be an apostle? Hey, look what Paul went through. And look how he ended up. In heaven, but how did he get to heaven? All of them died a martyr's death except John the Apostle. A martyr's death. But the doctrine that was given to them by the Holy Spirit has to be respected. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continue steadfastly in the Apostles' 
doctrine. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20 says, Paul writes, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of his household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If it wasn't for the apostles, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament. If it wasn't for the apostle Paul, two-thirds of the New Testament would be missing. That's why what's written by Paul, in Paul, as far as doctrine, as far as church, order, it needs to be followed, respected, and honored. Now, a question would come to mind. Why would Paul identify himself writing to Timothy? I mean, he knows Timothy. Timothy is his protege. He's like his son in the faith. Why would he write to him an apostle? Duh, Paul, I know you're an apostle. You don't have to brag and show it around. No, there's a reason why. The first reason was he's speaking with authority. This letter that he's writing is with authority from God, is inspired by God, and we need to follow it. Secondly, it's not only for a pastor. It's for you and I. It's for you and me. For example, you need to know the church structure. You need to know how the leadership in Calvary Chapel is operating and how we have leadership. Those that have been ordained as deacons, we look at Acts chapter 6, right? And then we looked at the scriptures. And then before we ordained them here before you, we read those passages of scriptures, Acts chapter 6 and and Timothy chapter 3. It's what is the qualification? Well, let's read it. It's not by, okay, he's the popular, he's a nice guy. Oh, I like the way he dressed. I like the way he smiles. He's good. He looks like a deacon. It's not the way he goes. Well, we did that for Steve. (laughs) Not just kidding. He's the only one with a suit. He's so holy. Now, let me stop. (laughs) It's your day today, Steve. But we looked at the scriptures. We see if he fell in, going to Acts chapter 6. Remember when there was a dispute over who gets what? And the apostle says, hey, we can't be worrying about serving tables. You know, we need to be praying and studying the scriptures. Why don't we ordain, you know, seven men who are in spirit, good reputation. We looked at that in Acts chapter 6. Then we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's how we do it. And that way you, you're part of this church family. You know how the leadership is put together. It's scriptural. It's biblical. It's not because we like somebody. It's not because everybody likes them. It's biblical. Or let's say someone comes to me, hey, Pastor Eddie, you know, I've been serving this church and I've been a part of church for a long time, you know. How come you haven't laid hands on me to be a leader? Well, first of all, that's pride right there. That's one reason why not. But secondly, we could look at the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. A deacon is one that's not double-tongued, not given to wine, much wine, not greedy for money, committed to the mysteries of the faith. Their wife is reverent and not slanderous. Their house is in order. Is that happening is that happening in your life? Your home is in order? When I was pastoring a church in New York City, his house was out of order. And no matter how much I tried work with him, I said, listen, you know, people hate to have titles taken away, <laughs> but it didn't go well. But the reality is he wasn't fit to continue as a deacon. If somebody reads the scriptures, they're going to come to him, hey, well, I know his house is out of order. I'm not saying you're going to find every little fault on the leader. But it's what it says in Timothy. You would know what qualifies a deacon, what qualifies a bishop or elder. It tells you. 
So Paul does not identify himself as an apostle, obviously not for Timothy's sake. Timothy knows. But the point is so that you, the church, the church of Ephesus, almost 2,000 years ago, and every church after that would know what's the qualification of a deacon. You would know. And this is why we study the word of God. Are we perfect? Oh, we are not. That's for sure. But we try to be obedient and faithful to the text, to the scripture. And let me tell you, that's a safety net for me and for the rest of the leads, and I speak on their behalf as well. Because I know if I'm faithful, I do things in order. If I do it in order, God is going to honor it. But if I do things my way, oh, because of tradition, I do things in the flesh. Oh, I like this guy. He's going to take care of me. He's going to do all the work for me, so I'm going to hire. I'm, he's going to be a deacon, so I, I could just go home and hang out. God's not going to honor it. It's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. That's why we study the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So now you know the qualifications of how church should be. So we're still in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God. So there's emphasis there. He gave his title. He's an apostle. He has authority. But he's also telling you, I've been commanded by God. If he wasn't commanded by God, then that's a lie. Then the rest of the book of Timothy is a lie. By the commandment of God, Paul was commanded by God to write this letter to give instruction and in how the church ought to be. So if we disagree with the teachings and the instructions in this letter, you disagree with God. It's very simple. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior. Now, that may be new to some of you. If you ever, God, our Savior, usually that title is reserved for Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you think God, our Savior, but if you read some of the Psalms, it calls God the Savior. So it's an Old Testament title for God. But it doesn't really matter because God the Father is equally our Savior. He was the one that sent his son to die on the cross for us. Amen? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. I love the plural pronoun there. Our hope, your hope, my hope. Our Savior. It's personal. He's not a Savior. He's our Savior. He's yours. He's mine. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he's our hope. Before Christ, we had no hope. That's one thing the world is crying out for today, hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. But now we have Christ. We accepted Jesus Christ. He now dwells in our heart. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Hope is not in man. It's not in the government. It's not on Pastor Eddie. It's not on the church. Hope is in Jesus Christ. The person Jesus Christ. He is a hope. Is a hope not expected. Expecting something is a, is a hope with the assurance that he's going to keep his promises. And he keeps his promises. Verse 2. We made it to verse 2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Now, the word true in the Greek is denisios, 
and is where we get the word genuine. So Paul was genuine. He was a genuine son of the faith. Not his biological son, but son in the faith. And let me tell you, my view on the natural relatives and brothers and sisters compared to the brothers and sisters in Christ, my view is my brothers and sisters in Christ are greater. You know, I love all the same. Not that I'm casting my relatives aside. I wouldn't be like Jesus when Jesus was on the cross. He said, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy woman. We're talking about John, the disciple John, who started following Jesus when he was 15 years old. At this time at the cross, he's 18 years old. Why did Jesus entrust his mother with one of his disciples, not his other brothers, who are much older than John? When they called for Jesus... And Jesus was speaking to the disciples in a multitude. People came and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they're looking for you. Jesus said, who's my brother? Who's my brother? Who's my brother? Who's my mother? <laughs> and he pointed to his disciples. The blood of Jesus Christ is greater than the blood of the flesh because your family will forsake you. That's why Jesus says, though my mother and my father may forsake me, God will never will. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul considers Timothy his son, true son in the faith. There was none like him. It was none like-minded like Paul than Timothy. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded, no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Paul cared for the church, and he knew that he sent Timothy, he would care and love for them as much as Paul did. He said, for all seek their own, not the thing which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character as a testimony. And as a son, still calls him a son, with his father, he served with me in the gospel. You know, there's nothing greater to a pastor and a leader when people are like-minded you share visions, and it with it. Okay, let's do this. I'm with you. I'm going. Timothy never argued with Paul. And I've heard some horror stories from other pastors. Like-minded. God has called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and Timothy wasn't a hindrance to it. He was a supporter, and he became like Paul, where Paul even say he's like-minded. Cares in the same state. He's just like me. He's a mini-me version of me. He loves you. Verse 2, to Timothy, a true son of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, interesting, when you find Paul's greetings and most of his salutations, Paul's greeting to Timothy and also to Titus and Timothy 1, 2, and Titus is different than his greetings to the letters of the churches and to Philemon. You'll find, you'll say, grace and peace. Grace and peace, which is a greeting Paul himself created. It wasn't a common greeting back then. It was Paul who came up with grace and peace. Because what he did was, number one, it's theological. Number two, he combined the Greek form of greeting, and that was Charis. So in the Greeks would say, Charis, grace, made you have a day better than you deserve. That was their greeting. To the Jews, shalom, peace. And he combined the two. And you'll find that in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philemon. Grace and peace. You'll always find them in that order. You won't find peace and then grace. Grace and peace. 
Because without grace, you will not have peace. But here, with the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, he inserts right between grace and peace, mercy. Mercy. Now, let's look at all three of these. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Is God unmerited favor? The most popular hymn, Amazing Grace, because it is amazing. We don't deserve the grace. So you're getting Christ, and it is through God that we have salvation. We have eternal life. That is the grace of God, and we don't deserve it. Not one soul, from Adam to the last one before Christ comes, not one person deserves the grace of God. No one deserves salvation. It is a gift. You're not entitled to it. You don't deserve it. You're sinful. But it is amazing grace. God's amazing grace. He entered in our hearts, and we now have salvation, eternal life. Now, mercy is holding back what we do deserve. You don't deserve grace, but what you do deserve is the wrath of God, but because of his mercy, because you accepted his son, Jesus Christ, you're born again, you're a child of God. He holds back the wrath of God. We deserve the wrath of God, but because of mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is holding back what you do deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. And God held back the wrath. He poured it onto his son, Jesus Christ. And the only way to be safe from the wrath of God is through his son, Jesus. Without that, you will get the wrath of God after you die or if you go through the great tribulation. And then you have the second death after that. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is holding back what you do deserve. And then there's peace. We cannot have peace unless we have the grace of God. Grateful also for his mercy toward us. Now, I believe personally the reason why Paul inserted mercy with his pastoral epistles because it's another way of saying, well, you guys are pastors. You're going to deal with some troubled people. A bullseye is going to be on your back because you're the leader. And so may the Lord have mercy on you. Or, or, I never look at it that way because I know personally that I'm not perfect. I know personally I am not perfect. And as much as God has given me love, patience, mercy, kindness, as much as he had poured it out to me, I'm going to keep pouring out to everyone. I've been convicted, I would say, almost five, six years ago. It hit me really hard. I was counseling an individual who kept going through the same cycle over and over again, and I got tired of him. I said, are you kidding me, the same thing? And just before I was going to say something, like, firm, I was broken at that. It just happened a split second. It's as if, and this happened a split second, as if God says, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Don't I have mercy towards you? Am I not patient towards you? What about Moses and how he struck the rock? He was getting angry for God. I told you to speak to the rock. Why did you strike the rock? Because of that, you misrepresented me. You're not going to the promised land. I'm careful. I'm careful. So that could be the mercy because you're discipling people, but as a pastor of God and held to higher standards, higher, and I will be judged greatly, even teaching the word of God. 
It says it right in the Bible, James chapter 3, verse 1. James writes this, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. He's not discouraging you, but he says, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now you know why I spend days and hours studying, right? I'll make sure I teach the truth. Now that you get there, that I know the truth, but more importantly, I honor God and his word. So mercy, and I think that's really for me, that God would have mercy on me, that if I blow it, because I'm not perfect, that he would hold back discipline and judgment. God is faithful. He loves the church. He loves to dwell in the house of God. And I wonder how often God had to hold back his spirit in the work in the churches today because they're not in the spirit. They're not being obedient to the word. They're running and operating a church their way. They're looking at the world and how they are successful. Let's do like the world. What's the new thing in the church? Let's do it. They have a disco ball? Let's get it. The word of God. The word of God. And this is why we need to stay true to the text. You know, there was a minister who came in. His identity was hidden because he was from China. You know, China is a communist country. You can't really be a Christian there at all. And he came and visited the churches, and he saw how they were doing here in America. And one thing he said that really shook a lot of preachers and teachers, he says, it's amazing what a church could do today without the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said to the Galatians, right? The Galatians, you know, who were Gentiles, they never practiced Judaism. They got saved without Judaism. They didn't wear a yarmulke, they didn't wear the prayer shawl, but come the Judaizers and all of a sudden, now, okay, I got saved, but let me start doing this. Paul says, are you beginning in the flesh? Are you continuing in the flesh? We're starting in the spirit. The church was birthed out by the spirit of God. We haven't done anything different. We're going on 10 years now. Started in the home. Kept it simple. What do we do? Verse by verse. Verse by verse. Talk to the boys. They'll tell you they've been with us from the very beginning. We haven't done anything different. We're in a home. We just studied the word of God. We didn't tickle the ears of people. We didn't get, you know, the lights and the smoke scream and, you know. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the point is, if that's what you think is going to bring people into church, what's going to happen? Just like what uh, Charles Spurgeon said, time will come when instead of the shepherd feeding the sheep, there are going to be clowns entertaining the circus. Chuck Smith said it this way. He says, the worm that you use to catch the fish is the same worm you have to use to keep it. You got to keep feeding them entertainment, tickling the ears. Oh, that didn't tickle well. Well, because it was the word of God. Well, good. <laughs> you get conviction. We need it. But this is the reason why these letters are so important. We know how we ought to behave in the church of God. Amen. The book of 1 Timothy is encouraging and inspiring. From one well-seasoned missionary to another, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, spurring a younger pastor on to great things. Isn't it great to live life in community with others so that you can mutually encourage others you're walking alongside? Even though Paul and Timothy weren't in the same area very often, these letters kept them united in the cause of Christ. We hope that you have this type of uniting with other believers. If you don't, we'd like you to know how to connect with us here. Go to our website at runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church that supports this ministry. 
At Calvary Chapel of Milford, we'd love to meet you this weekend and join with you in being part of a church family. Worshiping God and studying His Word together is something that should be done in community. To find out more, once again, our website is runningtheraceradio.com. We pray that Pastor Eddie's message on running the race has been helpful for you today. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad you're one of our listeners. If you'd like to hear this message again, you can find it at runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, feel free to listen to other messages from this series or download them to take with you on the go. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. That's all we have for today. But join us again for more as Pastor Eddie teaches from 1 Timothy on running the race.